You know, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have a difficult time keeping our focus off the negative things in our life. Well, today, Chris encourages us to look at our lives with the larger story arc in mind, and he helps us see that God might be up to something in our lives that we just can't see yet. Here's Chris. How is everybody today? All right, good. Hey, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open up to the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible all the way at the beginning, and we're going to be in chapter 46. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, we are at the tail end of a 47-week series through the book of Genesis. This is week 43. Uh, Don't worry. There's plenty to learn just in week 43. Uh, If you want to go back and watch the rest of these sermons, they're on our website. You can watch completely for free. I encourage you to do so. Uh, But one of the things we do each and every week is encourage people to open your Bible. So whether that's on a device, if you have a Bible on your phone or a paper Bible, I like the paper Bible for this purpose because I can take notes real easily in it. It's easy to underline and highlight and all of that. But you do you, whatever, whatever you like to do. But I want to encourage you, whatever Bible you would read during the week, maybe you don't even read the Bible during the week, but if you would, that Bible, I want you to open that Bible up and follow along. And the reason is, is because what we've found is people who bring their Bible to church and open it up and read in church actually tend to read it the rest of the week. Like there's a connection there. And, 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 and I think what that connection is, is, is we begin to realize that the Word of God is, is the truth. Uh, it's that thing that we can anchor our lives in uh, that doesn't just bounce around on the waves. And if ever there was a time we needed truth and something that's not bouncing around on the waves, it's now. Because we live in the era of fake news. Can I get an Amen. Like, I, you know, how many times over the last couple of years have we said, I don't even know what to believe. I don't even know what's true at this point. And that's just going to accelerate in the years ahead with artificial intelligence and deep fakes and all that stuff. We're not going to know what's true. And we need to be rooted in the truth and allow God's word to shape our worldview, not all the other media and everything else we're absorbing day in and day out. And so if you're not rooted in God's Word, if you're not reading it regularly, if you're not bringing it to church, now is the time to begin that habit, okay? So, like, next week, bring your Bible. Uh, This week, if you don't have it, we put the Scripture on the screen for your convenience, but it's going to be much more useful to you if you carry it with you. Does that make sense? Say yes. All right, amen. Good. All right. Where were we? Oh, yes, the book of Genesis. So um, chapter 46, we're most recently looking at the life of Joseph. Joseph was Abraham's great-great-grandson. And um, got to get the generation straight here. And, uh, and so um, it's interesting because Joseph's story is the last, I don't know, like 20, 30% of the book. I mean, it's like the rest of the book is like you're, you're skipping hundreds of years at a time. And then you get to the story of Joseph and we just slow down. And I love the book. Of, I love this part of the book. I love the life of Joseph. Um, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers because they're jealous of him. He ends up away in, a, in the foreign country of Egypt for 22 years. He spends a couple years in slavery 
Missouri and about 10 years in prison. And then one day, miraculously, the Pharaoh needs somebody who can interpret a dream. He can. He comes before the Pharaoh. He gets, he interprets the dream. He ends up being put in charge of the Pharaoh's affair. And by the time we meet him today, 22 years later, he's the second most powerful person in all the land. And Egypt by far is the most powerful nation on the planet. Joseph is a big deal at this point. Things have turned significantly. After a very hard period of time in his life, he is now in a position to, well, rescue his family because there's a famine in the land. He predicted that and prepared for it, and now he's got the food. They come down, his brothers who sold him into slavery, they don't recognize him. He recognizes them. He sends them back, says, I want you to bring bring the little brother Benny back. They come back. He reveals, hey, I'm Joseph. And they're like, woo. No, actually, they're like, oh my gosh, he's going to kill us. And they, but he doesn't. He forgives them uh, and says, go get dad, bring dad back. And that's where we pick up, just to catch everybody up who wasn't here last week. That's where we pick up in chapter 46 here. Um, now, in verse 8, we see a long list of names. It goes between verse 8 and verse 27. It's called a genealogy. And this is the family. This is the family as it stands at this point in time. Uh, about, 70, about 70 people total, 70 men total. In, in those days, in genealogies, it was all on the, on the male side. This was, well, I don't know if it was sexist or not, but it's just the way the world was back then. Um, and so that's what they did. We got 70 men. Um, if you add in Joseph's son, somewhere between 70 and 75 um, total in this family that they're bringing down from, uh, from the land of Canaan, 10, 15 day journey back down to Egypt. And they're going to weather the storm of this famine in Egypt. Now, I'm not going to read the list of names to you because I would bore you to death. You'd all fall asleep and you'd be like, well, uh. all right, so that's, we're not going to do that. Uh, but I am going to tell you why this is significant. Abraham, God approaches Abraham 215 years before and goes, I'm going to make you into a great nation, right? It takes about 25 years to get to Isaac, right? Abraham dies and he's got Isaac and he's like, great nation? What, what, you know, I mean, it, now God keeps his promise. It's just not in Abraham's lifetime. Well, it takes another 60 years or so to get to Jacob, 50 or 60 years to get to Jacob. So now we've got Jacob. Jacob takes another 50 or 60 years to get to his 12 sons. Now, again, this is just catching people up who haven't been here. Jacob, God has, he has a vision from God, and God calls him Israel. And this is where we get the name for the nation of Israel. And then his 12 sons are the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. So it all comes back to this guy named Israel. Israel the guy, not Israel the nation. So I'll talk about Jacob, talk about Israel, talking about the same guy. All right, so about 215 years to go from one guy to 70. Like, we are not on track to be a great nation, are we? I mean, this is going to take forever. Now, what happens is these guys live in Egypt for uh, about 30 years under the favor of this pharaoh. Things go very well. They're given their own little piece of land over here, and they don't get assimilated into Egyptian culture and become Egyptians. They become, they kind of incubate their, the seeds of their own nation over here in this little area called Goshen. And, um, and they go, uh, and then the pharaoh dies. The next pharaoh doesn't care about them and puts them all in slavery, and they end up in slavery for 400 years. 
You're like, I don't like the way this story goes. Yeah, well, it, it's, but God's up to something in the, cor- in the uh, context of the next 400 years. They become a great nation. When they leave Egypt 430 years later, there will be 600,000 men in the genealogy and over 2 million people. And they've gone from one guy 215 years to get to 70, 430 years to get to 600,000 or really 2 million, right? So we hit a point, a tipping point, where things really start rolling. And God knows exactly what he's up to, and he's working multi-generationally, which is hard for us to get our heads around. But God is fulfilling his promise and brings forth this nation out of Egypt all those years later that is still on the planet today. Pretty cool. Um, So, question is, Oh, there's all kinds of places I could go with this. Like, can you handle God working multi-generationally or are you just focused right in front of you? Uh, Because God may be doing something bigger than you in your life. But that's not my point. Um, My point is this, uh, never underestimate the power and impact of having and raising godly kids. You're like, how did you get there? Abraham had Isaac. He focused on Isaac. The most important thing Abraham did in his life was have Isaac and raise Isaac. The most important thing Isaac did was to have Jacob and raise Jacob. And, and at some point, God takes that and takes this family and turns them into a nation. Guys, the most important thing, if you are a parent, you can do is raise godly kids, is to teach them to follow God and teach them to love God. If you are not a parent... Um, you know, we live in a day and age where the, the upcoming generations are kind of neutral on having kids or negative. I don't want to bring a kid into this world. It's too upside down. Have lots of kids. Well, if you're going to raise them right, have lots of kids. Because, yeah, the, 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 we, we are, we are at, at facing a, a uh, population implosion. I mean, with what's going on in sexuality in our culture, that has negative uh, population and demographic outcomes. What's going on, you know, when people do get pregnant, they're encouraged to terminate their pregnancy. I mean, we're headed in the wrong direction population-wise. As the people of God, have kids, raise kids, love kids. It's the most powerful thing you can do because God is up to something generationally, not just now. And it's not about you. It's about what God's up to, and it's about the story that he's writing well beyond you. All right, well, in verse 28, we pick up the story. We're past the genealogy. Now, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. Now, I I find this this line very interesting. We covered a few weeks ago, Judah was, as a younger man, not a good dude. He was kind of despicable. He was the one who said, hey, let's sell him into slavery, make some money on him. We don't want to just kill him. Let's make some money on him. He's the one who got his his daughter-in-law pregnant. He's the one. I mean, we got a long list of Judah things that we just aren't really proud of and amazed made it into the Bible right? And yet Judah has this pivot point in his journey with God. Judah is a different guy. When he finally comes before his brother and they want to arrest his littlest brother Benjamin and and make him a slave in Egypt, he's like, no, take me. I will lay down my life 
for my brother. Judah changed. And, and so what we covered this a few weeks ago. Judah becomes kind of the, the, the head of the, this next generation of the family. Here we see Jacob going, Judah, you go ahead. Judah, you make arrangements. Judah, you do this. He's leaning on Judah. Judah was not that guy before. And through Judah will come the kings of Israel, David, Solomon, and the Messiah, Jesus, all come through the tribe of Judah. And we see the power of God's redemption in his life. We see a picture of what God wants to do in your life if you will pivot if you will stop living for you and start living for him. God has amazing things for us if we will live that way. And he does in Judah's life. And so now Jacob is leaning on Judah, who wasn't all that reliable before, but now is different. It's a picture of redemption. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. So Joseph's got the car warmed up. He's ready to go. He hears dad's in town. They, he jumps in. They cruise across town. He, he meets his, sees his father and don't, don't, oh, well, you can't over state the emotion that's wrapped up in this moment he hasn't seen his father for 22 years as far as he knew his dad was dead until very recently his dad his dad thought he was dead for 22 years he was sure of it he was dad's favorite son dad is you know the the object of his son's affection 22 years they've been separated unjustly it was it's been uh, it's been a brutal 22 years, as we will see, for Jacob. Joseph has just saved his family from starvation. He is exp he's, he's kind of realizing what God has been up to and just the emotion of that. You ever have one of those God moments where you just realize, oh my gosh, God's up to something here and you're overwhelmed with emotion? That's playing into this. And it says he threw his arms around his father and he wept for a long time. I think this is a really sloppy cry. I think they're both just completely overwhelmed by this moment. Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you're still alive. Now, this is a figure of speech. This isn't like, okay, take me now. This is, uh, I don't know that life gets any better than this. This would be a good day to go home. Like every day after this is going to be a disappointment. So I might as well go, go to heaven now. Kind of as an expression. I'm ready to, ready to die. This is the best day of life, my life. My heart is so full of joy. Doesn't get any better. God, you can take me now. Joseph gathers the family together. He's, he's got a, a little powwow with them. He's got a plan. He wants them to live in this specific area called Goshen. They're shepherds. They've, they've raised livestock, which is kind of looked down upon in, in Egypt. Egypt is a, you know, more of a metropolitan area, you know, and there's farmers out there. We don't like the farmers. You know. And so, so they're kind of looked down on, but he's like, well, if the Pharaoh will put them over here, they can kind of be unmolested by the Egyptians and the Egyptian culture. They can be their own, own people. They'll have the best of the land to raise their, their herds on. I think this will work out really, really well. So he, he gathers his brothers together and dad, and he goes, okay, here's the plan. I, 
got a plan. The Pharaoh likes me, right? And he's going to like you because he likes me, but don't screw this up, all right? Um, we're going to get together. We're going to go before the Pharaoh. We're going to make our presentation. He wants to meet you because he's heard about you guys, and, and, um, and don't mess this up. So this is in verse 31. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers in his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh, and I will say to him, My brothers in my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation, you should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed, then he's like, well, we don't want these people in the city. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. Egyptians considered livestock unclean. And they had them. They were kind of a necessary evil, but, you know, they kind of kept them out of, out of society. This is kind of like, anybody ever see the Hunger Games? Anyone? It's kind of like in the, in the Hunger Games, you got the people who live in the capital, and they got the ridiculous hairdos and all the crazy makeup and, and uh, outfits that are just, you kind of look at. Actually, it's kind of what society looks like today. Anyway, um, <clears throat> So they got, but it's like the people who live in the city, and then you got the people who live out in the districts. By the way, we're District 12, in case you were wondering. And, um, and, and the, you know, I, I think I have a picture. Do we have a picture? Did it make it? There they are. So in the center is the capital, on the sides are the districts, and, and you know, those people who live out in the districts, and they, they find them interesting, like there's an interest story here and then, oh, we could adopt one, you know, honey, lovey. Um, but, but generally speaking, they're detestable, they're like cattle, they're, they're not welcome in high society. Well, I think this is kind of what the Pharaoh is, is doing, you know, he's like, well, Joseph kind of fits in with his family. You know, those people are interesting. But, oh, they're interesting. Like, I've never seen a sheep before. You know, they, 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 and, and because of Joseph, he, he's a, he has affection for them. Today, these are like city folk, right? These are the, the folks who live in New York and L.A. and look at the rest of the country as flyover country. Oh, those people in flyover country, you know. In case you were wondering, we live in flyover company, country. You're just a bunch of Trump voters. Oh, <clears throat> let's give them their own area. You know, uh, we can watch on television. It'll be nice. We'll do a, a show called the Beverly Hillbillies. All right. <clears throat> but because of that, they're able to become their own nation there, as we've talked about. Well, in chapter 47, Joseph goes and has this conversation with Pharaoh. He says, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Here's what I think happens here. I think he's like, guys, we're all going to go see Pharaoh. There's 11 of them, 11 brothers, right? But six of them are so Jethro that they aren't presentable to Pharaoh. He's like, Simeon, take off the Napa ball cap, and, and we're going to cut the mullet, right? And no Paps Blue Ribbon t-shirt. We're getting rid of that. And we're going to go see the Pharaoh. And Simeon's like, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be true to myself. Okay, you're not going. All right? And, and he whittles it down to five, and he takes the five in who are not going to blow this thing up to see the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, of course, is positive. Pharaoh asks the brothers, what is your occupation? 
Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here for a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. So they do exactly what Joseph asked them to do, and it works out the way Joseph hoped that it would work out. Pharaoh says to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. And as he's saying this, he's like, this is really great. I'm really excited for you, Joseph. He has so much gratitude towards Joseph. Joseph has saved the Pharaoh's kingdom. He's made the Pharaoh unbelievably rich. He was unbelievably rich before this, but now he owns everything after this famine has come through and he was prepared for it and he's basically as we'll see in the weeks ahead bought every or everybody or basically with the food bought everything that is he's all powerful now he loves joseph he's a big fan of joseph so he's like man your brother and your father and all those guys are here this is so great the land of egypt is before you settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land let them live in goshen we see pharaoh's affection for Joseph. Whatever you want. You didn't ask for it, I, that's fine, but I want you guys to have the best. And he offers kindness to Joseph's family. They aren't even Egyptians. And they, but I think, again, that novelty of, oh, those shepherds, aren't they cute, you know? Um, <clears throat> and so he's like, well, we're going to give them the best food and the best land. They're going to get new houses, the best pastures. And an unintended consequence they're not going to get assimilated into egyptian society and culture they're not going to become egyptians they're going to become their own people and then he says this and i think this is awesome he says and if you know any among them with special ability i mean like you joseph put them in charge of my own livestock if there's any like you joseph i i want them working for me i want as many people like you on my payroll as I can possibly get. Guys, this is huge. This should be what people say about Christians everywhere. Like you go to work for somebody and they're like, how can I get more of you? Brings me to point two. Christians should live lives such that people are looking for more like them. A couple weeks ago, we're, we're, our family is in the college college tour portion of our lives. Ever been there? We're, we're, uh, we went down and checked out a school in Virginia called uh, Liberty University. It's a Christian school uh, in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. Really, really cool school. Uh, very impressed with it. Um, and Deuce wants to study film. And so we watched, spent about an hour and a half with one of their film professors going through the department and asking questions. And so one of my questions as dad was, what kind of jobs do people get after this? What, what do we do with a film degree? Who's hiring? Go, well, some people end up in Hollywood and other people end up in Georgia working on Marvel films. Some people do start their own businesses. You know, some people go to work for churches. So he's giving me the rundown. He goes, but real interestingly, just, just a few months ago, we had four graduates hired by Mr. Beast. And I'm like, Mr. Beast, really? And then most of you are like, who the heck's Mr. Beast? It's not Mr. Beast from the uh, book of Revelation, just so you're, you're clear. Um, Mr. Beast is a social media entrepreneur. He's like at the very top. He's in the top 10 most influential social media people right now on YouTube. And um, I don't think he's a Christian, um, 
But at some point, somebody inter- interacted with Mr. Beast, and a guy from Liberty ended up working for him. And he w- turns to the guy from Liberty at one point and goes, I need four more just like you. Where can I get them? And they hired four more people from Liberty. Guys, that's the way it should be in our world with followers of Jesus. When people look at our lives, they look at how we work, our work ethic, our heart, our integrity, all of it. They should look at our lives and go, I need more like you because I can't find them anywhere else. Live that way. This is so important. And Joseph did, right? You know, I mean, Joseph bloomed where he was planted. We've talked about this over and over again. Even in the context of prison, Joseph is bringing his best. He's bringing his, I mean, it's not that he didn't have bad days. We all do, but he brings his, his optimism. He brings his, his work ethic. He brings his winsome personality. Obviously, the, uh, the Pharaoh loves Joseph. It's more than he just made him rich. He genuinely loves who Joseph is. May we live lives that way. May we work. May we be those people at work who live that way. In Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. How do you do that? How do you bring that every day, even when things aren't going your way? By remembering that you're working for God. That, that w- when you go to work, you are His representative. You are working for Him. It's not the boss. But ultimately, what that will buy you is favor and influence if you live your life that way. Well, in verse 7, it says, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? Now, this is an interesting little tidbit. Jacob comes before the Pharaoh. He walks into the room with the most powerful man in all the world. Anybody seen the miniseries John Adams? All right, so if you haven't, there's this one scene where John Adams goes in before the king of England. It's after the revolution is over and the king's standing back like this. And he comes into the room. i got to come over here. It's very dramatic. He comes into the room, so he walks through the door, and the first thing he has to do is bow down like this. And then he walks like five steps, and then he has to bow low to the ground. I mean, it's like he's dying inside because we're Americans and we don't bow before royalty, right? But he, and he, he bows before the... Jacob walks into the the room with the Pharaoh, the guy who thinks he's the sun god, right? He thinks he's a god on earth in human embodiment. He walks up to the Pharaoh and he's like, hey, dude, can I pray for you? Take some way, take some guts to do that. I almost said a word I can't say in church. All right. um, Got to remember where I am. Um, Yeah. Hey, can I pray for you? Can I I pray a blessing over you? Now, this is a bizarre circumstance to walk up to a guy who thinks he's Ra, the sun god, and pray a blessing over him. I love it. I love it. I think Jacob's just at this point in life with, well, whatever. (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, as you get older, your filter kind of goes away, and you just say whatever's on your mind. Hey, can I pray for you, Pharaoh, Mr. Pharaoh? That's what the most powerful man looks like? No problem. I'm going to pray for you. And the fact that the, the Pharaoh receives the blessing 
says something about what he thinks of Joseph and what he thinks of Joseph's father, Jacob. <clears throat> you know, as, as I read this, it kind of gives me a picture of, of how we could live our lives. I, I, I think, this is point number three if you want to write it down, I think if we could all make can I pray for you a normal part of our vocabulary, we could change the world. You would be surprised how open people are to prayer. I was just having a conversation with a guy the other day, um, and he was telling me, uh, he's friends with a, a, another guy who's a pastor, and he was telling me about, and he goes, and he just, he just asked me if he could pray for me all the time. Like, we're, we're wanting, and, and, uh, and he's not the kind of guy that you would think would be, he's not super religious or anything. And he looked at me, he goes, I need every blessing and prayer I can get. And you would be surprised how many people feel that way. I think more than don't. I mean, you're going to run into your occasional angry atheist who's going to go like, no, you can't. Don't pray for me. Okay. All right. That wasn't hard. But most of the time, guys, people have life going on. They need help. They want God. They just don't know where to look for Him. And rather than going, hey, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? You might want to just say, hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And that opens the door to, hey, do you want to know the Lord Jesus? And so let's make can I pray for you a normal part of our vocabulary. And that might be in your cubicle at work. That might be, you know, in the vegetable aisle at Kroger. It might be before or after church. It might be at a holiday dinner with family. But let's look for those opportunities because people are dying out there. And even Pharaoh receives Jacob's blessing. And then his response, I love his response. How old are you? Like, you're not what I expected. I mean, Joseph's what, 38 years old? I thought maybe you'd be 60, you know, a few gray streaks in your hair, kind of a silver fox, you know, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be a wise, you know, kind of fit, whatever. And dude, you look terrible. You're old. How old are you? And Jacob's, Jacob's response is telling. Jacob says to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. Now, by their standard in their day, that's not a lot. His ancestors lived a lot longer than that. My years have been few and difficult. It's been hard. And they do not equal the years of my pil the pilgrimage of my father's. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. I love that Jacob refers to his life as a pilgrimage. This life is a journey. It is not the destination. Heaven is where we're going. We're just kind of passing through. This is a pilgrimage. If we could learn to live with that one thing in mind, it would change the way we live. This life is a pilgrimage. I love that powerful verse. There's so much packed into that. Heaven is where we're bound. And what Jacob says is, look, I've lived a really short life compared to my ancestors, but it has been so hard. I mean, I came out fighting with my brother. Remember, I had him by the heel, and we fought all growing up. Mom liked me. Dad liked him. We never got along. We were different. And then one day I uh, 
I snuck in after dad had lost his eyesight and tricked him into giving me the birthright, but my brother deserved it. Then he wanted to kill me, so I had to run. And I went to this foreign country, and I found my Uncle Laban, who was a scoundrel, and he took advantage of me time after time after time, and he tricked me into marrying the wrong daughter, who I didn't even want to be married to. And then she was the one who had all the babies. And then my, the one that I wanted to marry to be married to, he, well, he made me work another seven years for her, and then she couldn't get pregnant. And then finally, we leave, and it was all this mess Go back and listen to the messages. And, uh, and I end up back in the land that God had promised my fathers. And my wife, who, my favorite wife, which we've covered why you don't have a favorite wife, um, finally has little Joey. And I think, man, I'm just going to settle down in my later years and raise little Joey and just enjoy all of this. And then his brothers bring home a coat covered in blood and tell me that the apple of my eye was dead. And for the last 22 years, I have been unable to get over the death of Joseph. Oh, 130, 30-some years is a, not all that long compared to my ancestors, but it has beaten the life out of me. You ever met anybody like that? They're just old for their years. I just uh, recently buried a friend that I graduated from high school with. I'm like, oh, old for, for the years. You know, run into people who I'm like, and you're having a conversation with them, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm your age. Really? You look like 30 years older than me. <laughs> now, maybe I'm just deluded, and I think I look better than I do, but... <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to find out who you are. Just, um, yeah, but a hard life will take it out of you. And I think Jacob's saying here, like, it's been, it hasn't been that long, but I lost 100 years grieving J Joseph. You know, I may have only, only lived 130 years, but I'm like 230 this is, it's been a long road. And grief will do that too, you know. Now, let me just say this. None of us get through this life without grief. All of us will lose people that we love. All of us will walk through seasons of grief. But the thing with Jacob is that he got stuck in grief. And he just spiraled. And he couldn't get through it. And he couldn't get beyond it. And that happens. And if you do, and when that does happen to you, you'll just end up just cycling and cycling, and it'll just beat the heck out of you. It'll beat the life out of you. And you don't have to get stuck in grief. Now, there are some of us who are. Maybe you're walking through the season of grief that happens after you lose a loved one, and that's good, and there's a grieving process, and that's healthy. Like I said, we'll all experience that in this life, or most of us will. But if you're stuck in prolonged grief, you need to get help. You need to get beyond it. It's why we offer a ministry here called Grief Share, where you can get together with other people who are walking through the same situation, where the steps of grief are laid out clearly so you don't just hunker down and wear your life out. And if you are in that situation, if you've lost a loved one any time and you're not 
through the grief process yet, I highly recommend getting involved with Grief Share. It will start in the fall again. And if you are interested in being a part of it, I encourage you to take out your Connect card and mark on there. I think there's a place where you can say, sign me up for Grief Share, and we'll contact you when Grief Share starts in September. But it is important not to get stuck in grief because point number four, getting stuck in grief will steal your joy and it will shorten your life. All right, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt, and he gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. So they all lived happily ever after. This is like a, you know, it's like a Disney uh, movie. You know, they ride off into the sunset. They, they, they get a, a new, they get, all get new houses. It's like extreme home makeover. You get a new house and you get a new house and new appliances and you get new cars and you get this and you all get food allowance and you'll never have to worry about anything again, at least for the next 30 years and so on and so on. And they live happily ever after. And we love it when stories end like this, don't we? Don't we? And we're all living for the story to end this way. When's it going to end that way for me? I'm ready. I just want to point out that it goes really well for them for the next 30 years, and then it doesn't. Last week, I talked about story arcs. Talked about the fact that Joseph and his family were living in this hellish 22-year story arc where Joseph was in prison and in slavery and separated from his father, and, and Jacob thought he was dead. And, and, and as they come to the end of that story arc and look back, it's better than they could have hoped for or imagined. This is, this is where they land, right? And Joseph can look back and go, oh, yeah, I can see how God was preparing me in prison, how he was knocking the pride off my life, how he was getting me ready to lead at this level. And I would have never chose it, but, but I went through it, and it was for a reason, and, and now I'm here, and my brothers th sold me into slavery so I could save the family. I couldn't see it for 22 years, but I can see it now. And how important it is to live with the faith in the middle of the story to know that we're going to end up on the other side someday, whether in this life or the next. Here's, here's the challenge, though. When we live for those shorter story arcs, like I'm, I'm living to get to that place where I live happily ever after, you are going to constantly be disappointed. Not that you'll never get to the other side of that, but this is, even when you get to the other side, it's, it's compared to the destination, it's, it's a pittance. And it may be 22 years. It may be 30 years to get there. And guys, we've been designed to not just survive the hard years, but to thrive in the hard years. But you'll never thrive in the hard years if all you're thinking about is getting to this point. You have to get to this point. You have to think eternally. You have to think the big story arc. You have to. Guys, we all want God to bless us. That's the religion of America right now. God bless me. God make me wealthy. God make me comfortable. God make me happy. And we all want to be healthy, happy, and wise and, and, and all of that. And I think that's just kind of part of being human. I'm not beating us up for that. But 
we're all going to have a mix in our lives. And God doesn't exist to make us happy. And I know for some of us that's really hard to, to hear. Because you're like, well, wait, wait, wait a second. He's here to bless me. No, we're here to live for him. And the blessing is not in him giving you more or making your story turn out just the way you want it to. The blessing is living in relationship with him along the way, full of purpose and full of his presence inside of us, guiding and directing us. Now, I'm not doom and gloom and it's all going to be hard and terrible. It's not. God gives us seasons of blessing and we need to enjoy and, and relish and be grateful in those seasons of blessing. But when the hard stuff comes, we need to be able to walk with our eyes not on the short story arc, but on the eternal story arc. Point number five, live for etern the eternal story arc, not the shorter one. Enjoy the good seasons. Don't despair in the hard seasons, but know that God is up to something bigger than you can see. Abraham could not see 600 years into the future. He could not see a great nation, but a great nation was coming. God may be some, up to something in your life, and you're like, man, this stinks. But He may be writing something for your great-great-grandchildren, and it all comes back to what He's doing in your life right now. Can you be okay with that? And in the end, the story arc, well, it's not about your lifespan. It's not about the next. It's about where you're going eternally. Guys, if this life is the point, you will despair. You will when things get hard. But if the next life is the point, you can praise God even in the midst of captivity. What you living for? That's the question. Let's stand. <clears throat> We're going to spend some time worshiping God in song, and I encourage you to listen for His voice, to invite Him to speak to you as we sing, as we worship, as you focus your attention on Him. Let Him speak to you and ask Him, what's the one thing because there were a lot of different points in today's message. What's the one thing, in light of what we've heard today, God, what's the one thing you're telling me I need to do this week? What do I need to change? Maybe it's the way you look at life. Maybe it's something you need to do. But what is it? And allow him to speak that into your life. And then as we leave, go and do that. Holy Spirit, just invite you to come right now and fill our hearts. Lord, speak. We worship you, and as we worship you, God, I pray that you would, would just be blessed. God, help us to live our lives, not just here on Sunday morning and in our songs as if it's all about you, but help us to live our lives all week in the reality that it is all about you. And God, make us more excited about the story that you're writing than the one we want you to write. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. -face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. 
If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.